So there's a lot of variation in alfalfa varieties. Um, it's I, I think of alfalfa very much like uh, modern dog breeds. You know, there's a huge difference between a Great Dane and a Chihuahua. Well, with alfalfa varieties, there's huge differences depending on what you buy. And everybody just thinks, oh, well, alfalfa's alfalfa. It's alfalfa on the AgNow Roundup. Well, good morning and welcome to the AgNow Roundup. My name is Dave Deacon. In some parts of the country, it's called God's crop. Alfalfa is a high protein legume that usually has multiple cuttings and doesn't always require lots of inputs. With that said, there are several things that can damage the crop and lower its yields. We're talking about alfalfa production with Joseph Sagers of the University of Idaho Extension in just a few minutes. But first, here's a look at the weather across the ag world with meteorologist Matt Makins. AgNow Weather, Matt Makins here, chatting about alfalfa, but let's broaden that. We'll talk about hay regions. Uh, we've got a much better outlook for this growing season, especially to start with for a lot of the hay areas versus what we had last year. When it comes to alfalfa, we've got some issues up to the north where we had drought. This is the latest drought monitor uh, updated this week. We can see a lot of the hay areas and alfalfa too. Across the north, we've got some dry soils there. Uh, of course, into the Corn Belt, super dry. Down to the south in some of these hay areas, uh, we've done pretty well with some moisture. But for the grazing, the pastures and things, you get into West Texas, New Mexico, parts of Arizona, and we need some work. But let's focus on the alfalfa areas here up to the north. From Idaho into Montana, here we have Wyoming. We've got this drought issue that has been growing. However, notice where the deeper droughts are. This would be the Rocky Mountain Range right in here. So the mountains have the drought issues. The plains and the prairies are doing much better by comparison. So what's going on with this? We're not getting a lot of snow here. Let me change our perspective on drought and look at water resources in terms of snowfall. You may have seen maps like this before, used primarily by water managers. That's where it's most appropriate to use them. But all of these are mountain basins and how they would drain. And the percentage of snowpack there in terms of how much water that snow is holding. So for an example, you get it in northern Nevada, 153% of average water is waiting to melt and go into the river system. Colorado's in decent shape, near average. Parts of Wyoming, okay. Uh, but then you get into the north here. So on that drought map where the drought was so excessive, it's right in here. In those mountain areas where it may be half of a normal amount of water in that snow waiting to melt and move down. So we have some water resource issues in the longer run because we need that water to melt turn into irrigation this spring and summer. And we're not really building up that snowpack very well. So that explains the drought perspective there in the northern Rocky Mountain region. Uh, overall though, the soils for the alfalfa and hay areas, the soils are much better by comparison, but when it comes to the irrigation of, that's where the bigger questions remain because of our snowpack. Let's see over the next week to 10 days where the storms are going to be. Certainly have some uh, healthy flow continuing off for the East Coast. Kind of a lull in the action for much of the central U.S. But here we are Saturday, Sunday 
into Monday and watch as the system develops here across the west. A lot of moisture. It moves into the southwest. It spreads that moisture all across the Rocky Mountain region. It moves across the country and turns into wetter conditions for the central plains and off to the east. So we do have this system coming kind of develops this weekend and gets going next week for the last few days of February. But what about the moisture in its wake? What's going to happen there? This is total snowfall first, and this goes through the third. Uh, you can see just a light amount for most of the U.S., but then look at the mountainous regions, the Sierras, the Cascades, the Rockies, mostly the northern Rockies, central Rockies, there's going to be some pockets, okay. But let's look at the northern Rockies, since that's kind of the theme of today's video. We are pushing more than three feet of snowfall on the way over the next 10 days. That will help those basin maps, those values, that will help them increase a little bit. We're not going to get back to average or a surplus, but certainly with three foot, four foot snowfall totals on the way, that's really going to be a nice boost here. Here's a look at the precip map. You guessed it, west coast with this inundation of moisture, a lot of water is going to fall there and then throughout the mountains. Then we have this gap across most of the plains with minimal moisture totals and then you get out toward uh, east of the Mississippi and there's going to be some pockets here, Ohio Valley on up towards New England that have some decent water as well. As far as the plains are concerned, we need a change in the weather pattern that is apparent for parts of March. And we'll chat more on that in next week's AgNow Weather. Well, thank you so much, Matt. Alfalfa is grown across the U.S., but not all areas can pull several cuttings off their land every season. In Idaho, alfalfa is not just another crop. It's a crucial feedstock that supports the dairy and livestock industries, both far and wide. This morning, we're learning about alfalfa production with the University of Idaho Extension's Joseph Sakers. Thank you so much for going on with us, Joseph. What makes alfalfa such a great crop in the state of Idaho? So the reason why Idaho is so great at growing alfalfa is because we have really low humidity, and so our air is really dry. We also have really long, warm summer days and really cool summer nights, which is the perfect environment where alfalfa just thrives. And, and what about the soil types? Because I, I, I know certain crops, certain forages uh, thrive better in certain soil types. What, what, what is the predominant soil type in Idaho? Well, here in Idaho and a lot of the northwest of the United States, we, we have some really high alkaline soils. Um, and most of our soils are all above seven. There are a few pockets where you'll see some acidic soils, but that's uh, an anomaly that we almost don't see very often. So we have high pHs, which is also which also really helps with alfalfa. As far as texture and structure, um, we range from really heavy clay soils. We have some very sandy areas. We have some beautiful loamy areas, um, and alfalfa can thrive in each one of those areas depending on what it has. Now, one of the things about alfalfa is it doesn't like wet feet, is what the old saying is. If it has an area where there's a lot of puddling, if there's if you have a hard time getting uh, water off of your field, then that wouldn't be an area where alfalfa would do very well. It doesn't do well in standing water. What you really need is an area that has good drainage, but also it can get a lot of water. Um, here in Idaho, we predominantly have a lot of irrigation and it just happens to be one of those areas where we can put water on as we need it and then the alfalfa isn't standing in water. 
That's nice. Well, yeah. I, I guess take me through the growing season uh, for alfalfa because th th this is actually one of the forages where there is the benefit of multiple cuttings, but you have to start somewhere. Uh, I, I guess let's take me through the whole season. So, it, like I said, in Idaho, it's a little bit different than you'd say in Arizona or California and some of those areas where they do produce a lot. Some of those areas, they can get 10 cuttings a year. Um, and they're just constantly running their swather. Here in Idaho um, and a lot of the other areas, uh, you'll see three cuttings, which is standard. Uh, and usually you'll get your first cutting about end of May, 1st of June or so. Um, and then the next one would be about a month later. Um, it, the first cut could be anywhere as far into, you know, throughout June. The second cutting could be somewhere in July, um, usually 1st of July, mid-July. Um, and now some of the guys who are catering for higher quality will cut earlier than people who let it go a little bit longer. Um, you know, so the dairy guys like to see higher quality and they'll try and cut it earlier. Whereas people are going for tonnage for export markets or for whatever it be, um, will tend to let it go a little bit longer. So therefore the, the, the season of their cuttings is going to be lengthened out. And then they'll usually take one more cutting sometime around, um, end of August or so, um, once again, depending on when they took their other cuttings. And then they really want to let it have a little bit of regrowth so that it can go, uh, that it can go into the dormancy, uh, the, go into dormancy without having uh, any hiccups there because it does have to survive through the winter. Um, now, once again, down in the south in say Arizona or California, they select for varieties that do not go dormant. Right. Um, so they can just keep cutting them over and over and over again. They don't have the same issues there that they would have here. What is the best time of year to, to, to put that alfalfa seed into the ground? And, and once you do, um, what kind of, of, of nutrients do you need to put down with it uh, whenever you actually do plant the seed? Um, so what time of year? Most commonly, what you'll see is a spring planting where people will put it down, you know, after they put their cereal grains in, you know, say in April or May. Um, however, there's a lot of people who have been trying to put it in, in say, August or September um, and trying to get it to come up in the fall and ha let it get enough growth on it that it'll be well established that it could survive just fine. And then that next year, you wouldn't have any issues. You could get three cuttings off of that first year where normally what we call is an establishment year in the spring. If you plant in say, uh, you know, end of April, then you would probably end up with maybe two, maybe one cutting that first year when you're just getting it established. So it, it just depends, but it, you know, a lot of people try and do it in the fall, just following up with another crop. How often do you have to, to, to reseed your, your alfalfa crop? Um, so that's another thing that, uh, is kind of debated. Now, uh, usually most guys will leave it in for about five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of more of the common practice. It really it depends on how long eventually alfalfa stands start to start to thin out. And an interesting thing about alfalfa is alfalfa has an autotoxicity. So if you were to intercede alfalfa into alfalfa, it will not regrow. The frustrating thing about alfalfa, and I would say it's one of its very few flaws, is that when you plant it in there, um, it, it, it's only toxic to alfalfa. It's not toxic to other weeds or anything else like that. 
Um, so when you do decide that a stand needs to be thickened up, most guys will replant it with, say, grass or something like that, or they'll just switch out the rotation entirely. Um, so uh, you can thicken it up with grass, and that would make, you know, a nice, what they call an alfalfa mix hay, or, you know, and that's good for for um, people who are looking for, like, a grass hay that has extra protein in it right. or something like that. Um, now, if you're fertilizing it, um, this is something that needs to be brought up. So alfalfa is a legume. So mm -hmm. it fixes atmospheric nitrogen. There's no nitrogen inputs required normally um, if it's inoculated properly. I will say, if you do fertilize with nitrogen, your alfalfa will do better because then it doesn't have to expend energy to fix that nitrogen. However, generally, most people don't add that extra cost because it's not necessary with inoculant. Um, it's a heavy user of phosphorus and potassium. So most people would be putting down phosphorus and potassium. You, you mentioned something just a, a few seconds ago about the weeds. Um, I, I guess let's dive into weed pressure in alfalfa. Um, how, are, are there competitive weeds whenever you do have a, a forage like this? Oh, absolutely. Um, but I will say there's very few crops that can, very few crops and very few weeds that can grow as fast as alfalfa and be cut as often as alfalfa. And so one of the great advantages of alfalfa is if you can keep the weed pressure down that first year, you can manage most of the weeds out of there. Um, uh, so, you know, use your typical things like pigweeds and dandelions will all come up that first year. And it's very crucial that you control them that first year before they get established. Now, following that, most of the weeds that you're going to see um, you'll see a lot on the first, uh, a lot more on the first cutting uh, because there'll be a few annuals. They'll just try to get in a race against alfalfa, right. um, but uh, they don't ever win. Eventually, they just go to seed before they can, before they can actually make much damage. A lot of times, you'll see a lot of perennial weeds like quackgrass is a big one around here, um, but uh, other weeds like that are ones that will persist throughout the year. But usually, you don't have a lot that will outcompete alfalfa like that. I guess let's turn the page and, and let's talk about insect pressure because I know that there are, in certain parts of the country, there are insects that that um, can really put the hurt on, on a crop like alfalfa. Yeah, and it can get really frustrating. Um, I've seen some alfalfa fields where they take the swather through and the swather is so covered in aphids that you can't even see what the original color was of the alfalfa crop. Um, or of the tractor head or, or whatever it was, you know. So um, uh, I, I would say aphids is a big one. Um, aphids is one where yeah, it, it can cause a lot of problems, um, but sometimes you can get a lot of pressure from aphids and then not end up with um, significant yields, uh, yield damage. And so it re you really have to just go out and monitor and see what's out there. Uh, a lot of times you can see a lot of aphids and the damage to your crop isn't as heavy as you thought it was. But yeah, with aphids, um, you th there's a wide host of things that um, are labeled to treat aphids. Right. Things like cephina or um, uh, uh, you know things like dimate. Those are common ones that people use on in aphids. Another really big one that we have in Idaho is uh, alfalfa weevil, mm -hmm. um, and that'll get in and it'll it'll just cut those stems and it'll feed on the stems, it'll feed on the leaves, it, it feeds on a lot of things. So alfalfa weevil, if you can treat it when it's still in the larval stage in an early instar, um, you know, things like any of your pyrethroid based 
products like Warrior is a very cheap, very common one that most people use around here. So um, uh, those are two of our biggest ones as, we, as aphids and alfalfa weevils. Another emerging one that we've seen a lot of is thrips. Um, thrip, yeah, thrips, uh, they've, they're kind of hit and miss again, kind of like uh, alfalfa or kind of like other aphids. But uh, the thing is, there's not a lot of things that are not a lot of pesticides that are labeled for thrips. That's right. Um, a lot of times people will apply other things, just assume that they're controlling thrips. And a lot of times what they do is they end up knocking out all the predators and then the thrips just th seem to thrive. Uh, you'll see a lot of thrips explosions after an alfalfa weevil application because they applied warrior and it didn't take out the thrips or the thrips weren't in a population there yet. And so all of the you know pirate bugs and everything else died out and then you have an explosion of thrips. Um, so, well, th th those are the insects. One thing, that, another thing that we need to mention is probably voles. Mm. In Idaho uh, and a lot of other places in the Pacific Northwest, voles are becoming an increasingly bigger problem. Interesting. Um, yeah, and, and, and they're just decimating a lot of these alfalfa crops. Some of these guys who, you know, they put a crop in last year are already having to change it out because the voles are grazing down their crops so heavily there's nothing there for them to harvest. Um, and they're just exploding in populations. Um, they they have boom and bust cycles, a lot like thrips and alfalfa aphids. But uh, the problem is we only really have maybe two decent herbicides, really only one rodenticide that we can apply on the crop, and that's zinc phosphide. Um, and that's kind of hit and miss. Uh, if it gets wet or if it's been sitting in a warehouse for three years, um, the the voles just don't... Or the, if it gets wet, it's ineffective. If it's been sitting out, somewhere the voles would much rather have a green salad than you know some some sit in a warehouse for three years that's true so voles are hard um and we don't have a good solution yet but we're working on stuff whenever it comes to the voles or the insects do you see them in in a certain time of season in idaho or is it is it after primarily after the first cutting second or third cutting yeah, thrips are much worse after the third cut, really? or after the second cut, and then you see a lot of them on the third cut. Um, voles, uh, I don't have a good answer for that one. Um, it's it's really, I mean, it's, they're not as bad on the first cut because it really depends on how well they survive through the winter. Um, you know, they were really bad two years ago. And then last year we had a really hard frost. Like we got down to like about minus 29 degrees and that seemed to kill a lot of them, but they're coming back now with a vengeance. And so they're, they're not seasonal. Um, the alfalfa weevils, um, they're, they're kind of sporadic throughout the year, but usually, you know, you'll see them a little later in the year, you know, end of second cut and third cut. So when you'll see a lot of those. You, You've done a great job explaining the, the, the overall issues for the crop. What, what are you hearing from producers in Idaho about what, what they're seeing on their fields? What are they coming to you with? Uh, some of the questions to help them improve their, their uh, alfalfa crop. Um, as far as improvements, I mean, uh, really, I mean, the biggest thing is uh, variety selection. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing. People want to know, okay, what should I plant? Um, and there's, there's a lot of variation in alfalfa varieties. Um, 
It's I, I think of alfalfa very much like uh, modern dog breeds. You know, there's a huge difference between a Great Dane and a Chihuahua. Right. Well, with alfalfa varieties, there's huge differences depending on what you buy. And everybody just thinks, oh, well, alfalfa is alfalfa. I would put a plug in for the National Alfalfa and Forage Alliance. If you go there, it's alfalfa.org. They have a brochure they publish every year with um, every variety, how dormant they will go, how well they would survive the winter, how well they would survive against various diseases such as, um, uh, you know, verticillium and uh, phytophthora and a bunch of other common things, including resistance to various insects and resistance to nematodes and everything like that. So I would say if you are wondering what variety to plant, go to alfalfa.org and the National Alfalfa and Forage Alliance has all of those on there. Well, thank you so much for going on with us and, and helping us to understand uh, alfalfa production in in Idaho. And, and I, I think we can all take away some great information from it. Well, I appreciate doing this, Dave. Thanks a bunch. And of course, thank you for watching this episode of the Ag Now Roundup. You can find out more information about this episode or previous episodes or find contact information for our previous guests on our website, agnowtv.com. And while you're there, sign up for our social media, sign up for our email, and you can also download the AgNow TV app where there's more video resources available, again, on the AgNow TV app. From our farm to your farm, I'm Dave Deacon for AgNow.